So with that, with this, let's welcome each other formally. Welcome, folks, to a very special evening. This is called, there are two names for tonight. Two names. This is High Holiday Boot Camp, Rosh Hashanah session number one, and it's also Torah Studies, Rosh Hashanah session. This is a, uh, hey, different names, different branding, but it's the same idea. We're going to study Torah, and the specific area of focus is on Rosh Hashanah. The goal of High Holiday Boot Camp is to get in the spirit of the holidays, is to get ourselves prepped. It's kind of like, you know, any boot camp, you know, like the physical workout varietal, um, where, you know, the goal is to get in shape and to get, you know, to get the heart pumping and the, you know, the heart racing and get the heartbeat up and, you know, get everything moving. The goal here is to get ourselves in shape for the holidays, spiritual shape for the holidays, to get our soul pumping, to get ourselves psyched up and ready to roll for the holidays. Rosh Hashanah is, let's do the math here, I think 40, yeah, 48 hours or so away. 48 hours. Okay. You don't need to be a mathematician to figure out. That means that it's really close. It's coming up really, really soon. So now is the time to get ready. Now is the time to learn about the themes of the day. And, you know, we could do anything. We could explore any number of themes. For the last uh, 3,300 years, since uh, the Torah was given at Sinai, there's been a lot of Jewish scholarship. We are the people of the book. And there's a lot written about the topic of Rosh Hashanah. Tonight we're going to focus on one specific area of focus, and that is something that I think you'll find to be central to the day of Rosh Hashanah, and central also to a big theme in our lives, interpersonal development and spiritual development. These are the topics for tonight. All right, so with that introduction, that kind of intro introduction out of the way, let's jump right in. So when it comes to the Jewish holidays, and now I'm going to mute everybody, um, uh, maybe I'm going to run through quickly. Okay, Joy, welcome. David, welcome. Allison, welcome. Steve, welcome. Masha, welcome. Stan, welcome. David, welcome. Isaac, nice. Welcome, welcome. All right, Linda, welcome. Fran and Drawer and Nate, possibly welcome. Mike and Sarah, welcome. Jessica, good to see you again. Welcome. Donna and Fred, welcome. Donna, welcome. Susan and Richard, welcome. Steve, welcome. Adina Malka, welcome. Rosita, welcome. Alex, welcome. Susan, welcome. Vlad, welcome. Marnine, welcome. Danny, in the house, welcome. Elizabeth, welcome. Charna, welcome. Ray, welcome. Joy, welcome. Ellen and Paul, welcome. Jackie, welcome. Alex, welcome. Lisa, welcome. Stephanie, welcome. Joe, welcome. And we even have more people coming in. Mike and Amy and Eli are about to join in the house. All right, welcome you guys. Mike and Amy and Eli, welcome. Sandrine, welcome. Here we go. I'm going to mute everybody and let's get started. Oh, before we get started, formally, once again, one more announcement. Quick announcement. This is actually a thank you announcement. Thank you to Steve and Elizabeth and Joy, Steve Horowitz, Elizabeth Alterman and Joy Gordman for being gracious and generous donors to help sponsor to, uh, this High Holiday Boot Camp Series. Thank you very much. And uh, may God, may Hashem bless you. May God bless you with abundance in everything that you need spiritually and physically in the coming year and for always. Thank you. All right, let's jump right in to our conversation. Every Jewish holiday is associated with something special. In fact, the vast majority, pretty much every Jewish holiday, biblical holiday, is associated with two things. Number one, 
some sort of historical event, and number two, something about the agricultural cycle. So let, let's, instead of me explaining this, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Okay, so Passover. We're going to start with Passover, the birth of the Jewish people. It, it's the first holiday in the count of the holidays, uh, in, in the holiday cycle. That's, that's how we count. We, go, we start with uh, Passover. So Passover has a historical meaning, the Exodus. It celebrates a historical event. And it also marks a time that is connected to the agricultural cycle. Namely, it's the time, it's, it's called the Chag HaAviv. It's the, the holiday or the season of Aviv. Someone unmute yourself. If you can tell me, give me a working definition of the word Aviv. Aviv. Spring, exactly. That's not, right? It's not by accident, but on Passover. Sorry? The great matzah harvest. The great matzah harvest. Yes, we've been planting matzah seeds for years. Finally, the matzah is growing on the old matzah tree. No, um, matzah, matzah, sorry, Susan, go ahead. Barley. Barley, no, 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 no. Hold on, that was a joke. We're moving on. Hold on, let's get back. Let's get back. Passover is that, yes, there was a barley offering brought on Passover, but the point is that in general, Passover, time of the spring, thank you, Steve, by the way, for leading us down that path. Awesome, you're the best. But getting back to the actual class, no I'm kidding. I, um, look, on Passover, we all have a spring in our step. I'm just saying. It's the spring, it's the time that things are starting to grow, and that's how it rolls. Next holiday is Shavuot. Seven weeks later, we celebrate two things once again. Historically, we celebrate the giving of the Torah at Sinai, and agriculturally, it's the time Chag HaKatsir. It's the time that one cuts, cuts the, um, it's the festival of, Katsir means the festival of the, I don't know. You're cutting the grain, you're cutting the, the, the produce. Huh? Wheat car- the wheat cuts. Yeah, the harvest, wheat. The harvest, harvest. harvest. No, but it's not actually harvest because you're not gathering it in yet. The the um you're you're cutting it, but you're not gathering it in yet. When do you gather it in? Reaping. I I don't know. Who knows? I, I don't know that we're gonna get the right word here. But uh, listen, honestly, we could do this class Mad Lib style, where I start sentences and then I tell you it's a noun, and you know we go ahead. I'm kidding. So here's the deal. <laughs> that would actually be a lot of fun. We have to try that. Um, it's kind of like create your own adventure class. That's a really, that's not a bad idea. Okay, we're gonna, I'm going to work on that in the new year. That could be a fun, a fun evening. It's the festival that marks also the time of the cutting of the harvest, or the cutting of the whatever, the produce. Fast forward to the holiday of Sukkot, which is coming up in a little over two weeks, about 16, uh, 16 17 days. And the festival of Sukkot marks, number one, it historically reminds us of the booths and the huts and the clouds of glory that God put us in when we left Egypt and traversed the desert for 40 years. So we had, um, you know, we had tents. We were protected by clouds of glory as well. So we remind ourselves of that historical event and miracle with the building of the Sukkot of the, of the huts. And at the same time, it's Chag HaAsif which is the festival of the ingathering of all of the stuff that we cut. All the stuff that we cut on Shavuot, you left it out in the field to dry out. Before the rainy season, you bring it in. Somebody should tell the farmers in Atlanta, 
Rainy season just started today, so they just missed their chance. Now you have soggy grain, and that's on you because you should have paid attention to the forecast. I digress. Um, I hope everyone is safe with all of the, the rain and, and the storm and no flooding, etc. And uh, if, if it is, I hope you have a kayak and everything is good. Getting back to our story, Rosh Hashanah seems like an anomaly. The truth is even, even um, the holiday of Yom Kippur also has a similar theme in that Yom Kippur marks, of course, the day of the, the giving of the second tablets and the atonement of the Jewish people onto the sin of the golden calf. Like God fully says fully, like, I forgive you, we're good. Um, and that also, what's, what's the agricultural relation, Yom Kippur? Uh, I don't know if there is. Okay, but it, it certainly has that. The question is, what is Rosh Hashanah? What is Rosh Hashanah? The Torah tells us about all these other holidays, what they're about, and an agricultural uh, connection. Yom Kippur tells us about the Atonement. Um, what is Rosh Hashanah? You look in the Bible, look in the Torah, and there's not much about Rosh Hashanah, why it's a holiday. It just says it's a holiday, but it's really the rabbis who fill it in, who really give us the, the core explanation. And I'm going to open this up to all of you and feel free to unmute yourself. The question is, historically, what does Rosh Hashanah commemorate? Help me out here. Rosh Hashanah. Help me out, guys. Birthday of the world. Head of the year. Birthday of the world. Head of the year. Yes, yes. The beginning of creation. However, as some of you know, that's not exactly precise, which we'll get to in a moment. But first, let me share my screen with you. We are going to study um, a piece of Talmud, Tractate Rosh Hashanah, super appropriate to discuss, uh, pursuant to Rosh Hashanah. Here we go. Donna, you're first on my screen. Please take it away. Text Numeral uno. Hold on, you gotta unmute yourself. I requested the unmute. You got it. <laughs> it is taught, Rabbi Eliezer says, in Tishrei, the world was created. In Tishrei, the patriarchs were born. In Tishrei, the patriarchs died. On Passover, Isaac was born. On Rosh Hashanah, Sarah, Rachel, and Hannah were remembered by God and conceived. On Rosh Hashanah, Joseph came out from prison. All right, so the Talmud says all of these things happen, interesting historical events and, and seminal moments in Jewish history happened either in Tishrei or Rosh Hashanah or on Passover, all these wonderful occasions. The obvious, well, maybe not so obvious, but which hopefully is somewhat apparent, is the first line over there. In Tishrei, the world was created. So what is Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is the first day of Tishrei. What happens in Tishrei? The world is created. But, as I mentioned before, although we know that Rosh Hashanah, we, we say that Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the creation of the world, it's not exactly so. Why do I say that? It's not day one of creation. Rather, we discussed this, I believe, Sunday in Kabbalah and Coffee. Sunday mornings, we have a Kabbalah class called Kabbalah and Coffee. We do it online right now. Um, and we discussed this theme then. The truth is, the world is created. The first day of creation is the 25th day of the month of Elul. And Rosh Hashanah, which is the first day of Tishrei, actually marks and commemorates Day, this is very important, day number six of creation. Unmute yourself and tell me loud and proud what happened, what was created on day number six of creation. Um, man, we were... Adam and Eve, that is it. You guys got it right. You guys were all over that and I'm loving it. So what happens on day six of creation is human beings walk out, roll out, and it's a party. 
It is a party. Human beings exist. Now, the reason why Rosh Hashanah is on day six of creation and not day one, as I mentioned in that previous class, so some of you heard that, is because we don't commemorate, we don't celebrate Rosh Hashanah being the, uh, the, 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 the anniversary of the beginning of the potential of you know, creation, but rather we begin, we commemorate the beginning of the actualization of the purpose for which the world was created. In other words, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, the beginning of day six, wonderful things were created. Light and darkness and heaven and earth and sky and land and oceans and land and um, vegetation and birds and fish and vegetation we did and animals. Wonderful, wonderful, all, all fantastic. But in Kabbalah and Judaism, we know that at the center of the purpose of creation lies the human being. Because we are the ones that have free choice. We are the ones that have a guide to living and have free choice and have the opportunity to elevate the world, including all of the creatures therein, or to, God forbid, do the opposite of elevate the world. I'm not even going to mention anything specific, but do the opposite of elevate the world. And that's our choice. And so literally, the balance of the world, the energy state of the world lies in human hands. Rosh Hashanah commemorates not the beginning of the possibility of this ex experiment called creation and life, but the beginning of the actualization of the human being on planet Earth. So what happens on day six around midday? Adam and Eve are created. Tonight, as we explore, apologies, tonight as we explore Rosh Hashanah and we explore deep themes psychological, emotional, spiritual, Kabbalistic, mystical themes of Rosh Hashanah, here's what I want you to know. The focus is going to be the center, the backdrop. The core focus is going to be on the creation of Adam and Eve. Because on Rosh Hashanah we gather, we call it a new year, we call it a day of judgment, you call it all sorts of things. But you know what it also is? It's a birthday. It's a birthday party. Happy birthday, human beings. Adam and Eve originate on Rosh Hashanah. And so tonight we focus on Adam and Eve, their origin story, our origin story, and the messages, the lessons they contain. Everyone with me so far on the setup where, we, where we're at with this? Let's jump in. First thing that we're going to do is explore the narrative of Adam and Eve's emergence. How did they come to be? Text number two, this is Genesis 2, uh, verse 21 through 24. Linda, Linda Horton, please take it away. Text number two, please unmute yourself. Oh, you are ready can to go. Hear, can, can you hear me? Yes, we got you loud and clear. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. No worries, we got you. <laughs> and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept. And he took one of his sides, and he closed the flesh in its place. And the Lord God built the side that he had taken from man into a woman, and he brought her to man. And man said, This time it is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called Isha, woman, because this one was taken from Ish, man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Thank you. I'll tell you, there's so many messages and deep mystical messages 
um, to unpack. Uh, let's focus on very, very simply understanding the story. Most people understand this as originally there is man, right? The male, Adam. And then God does some sort of surgery, right? Some sort of um, side removal and cloning, I don't know, cloning, whatever. Building out from that side or the rib, whatever you want to call it. And God builds out Isha, the woman, Eve, Chava, from Adam. That's how, that's how many people understand it. But I'll tell you that according to our tradition, that's not how it happened. According to Jewish tradition, and I, I, I'll share with you one of the many sources on this, that's not exactly how it happened. And the reason is because there's another verse in chapter 1 of Genesis that says something radically different. It says in chapter 1 of Genesis that God created the first human being, male and female. You might remember that verse. Zachar unikeva. I don't have the text in this uh, PDF. You'll have to take my word for it. Genesis chapter 1, it talks about God creating Adam, Zachar Unekeva, male and female. So that's one narrative. Here we have another narrative where there's some sort of surgery going on and God builds out the woman from his side. The question is, so what's, how did it all work out? How did it all transpire? How did it happen? I'm going to share my screen with you once again and let's, Look at what the Medrash says, Bereshit Rabbah, text number three. Let's ask, oh, Fred, we can ask you to read. Sorry for skipping you or for, uh, for not asking you. Um, Fred, take it away, text number three. Rabbi Shmuel, son of Nachman, said, At the time God created Adam, he created him two-sided. God then separated Adam and Eve leaving two backs. I, I hope, thank you. I hope you guys are all getting the visual on this. Okay? God created the first human being two-faced. Two-sided. Um, two no, two-faced means something else. <laughs> that's, that's something else. Although one could argue, given the story of the, uh, the tree of knowledge, maybe, maybe, whatever. But let's leave that aside. Um, now is not the time to criticize. Now is the time to, uh, to focus on what the message is saying. God created the first human being. Let's not call, call it by a name right now. Two-sided. You know what that means? Okay. Not Siamese twins. No. Back to back. Right? Imagine two people stand back to back. And imagine, okay, I don't want to get too weird. But imagine that instead of two people, that merges into one person. And that's what you have. You have one person facing one way, the other side facing the other way, and that's it. Zachar Unikeva, male and female. So what, is, so what happens? So what God does is God pulls out the old chainsaw. Joking. No chainsaw. No power tools. Sorry, that was gross. God somehow separates. Separate. We'll have to keep this family friendly. God separates the two, the two beings, if you will, and creates two backs, right? Instead of having no backs, now each one has a back. Make sense so far? Yes? You read the story in Genesis chapter 2 about God separating from the side, Eve and everything, and you wonder, and, and you, have, you have an image. You know, there was a bone, there was a rib, and then from the rib, God created some other, you know, creature, some other being, a, a person from a rib, all right, 
But that's not how our sages understand the story. Our sages understand the story that, that God separates Adam and Eve. They were back to back, they were fused together, and God separates. Okay, the big question is, based on this narrative, it's, it's such an obvious question that maybe we might, we might not think to ask it, or maybe we think that, you know, well, who knows anyway, so there's no point to ask it, but it's an obvious question. And I'm sure if I ask you to unmute yourself and ask the obvious question, I'm sure you could ask it. So you know what? Let's roll the dice. What's the obvious question on this narrative? Not the difference between the chapter one and chapter two with the narratives, either back to back or side. Not that. We'll deal with that also. But what's the core question on the narrative of God separating the two, the, the be, one being into two beings? How, what's the obvious question? Why did he make two in the first place? Wait, 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 wait. Rephrase the question. I want to make sure it's my question. Say it one more time. Why did? He not make two separate people in the first place. That was my question. Good. Susan, you and I, like this, excellent. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. If God wanted two beings, no, <laughs> make two beings. What's the deal with the single being and then the surgery to create two beings? That seems like a lot of unnecessary effort. Now, one thing, when it comes to God, you know, I don't know that God gets tired or, you know, we can't say that it was more effort, if you will, for God. Because that's, that's not how God operates. Nonetheless, when you have a very strange type of experience, a very strange type of uh, description, it begs the question, why? Lama? Farvas? I'm giving you different languages for the same question. Why? What's the reason why God creates first a single being and then... Buzzsaws them into two. Why not just create two, two individuals? Look, Adam, the first being, right? Let's call that first being Adam Eve, right? God created the first being anyway from the earth, right? So why not create two? If you're anyway going to get two, just create two. It's not my question. Susan, I know it's your question also, but it's not only your question. This is a question that's asked by the greatest of the greats, by the great Torah commentaries. Like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fairly... Um, a fairly uh, stark question that, 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 that begs to be answered. Let me share my screen with you once again, and let's jump in to question, to text number four. Stan! All right, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, Karen, go ahead. Okay, finally got this up. So I have another question, though. If, if, um, if God created Adam and Eve to be one flesh, right, in, in one text, then the, the, the question I have is why then separate them? So it's not just why didn't they just he create Adam, you know, two man and woman separately, but if, he, if the intention was for them to be one flesh, then why didn't he separate them? Oh, that's the other question, right? If they're supposed to really be one, so why cut them apart in the first place? In other words, and what you're asking is uh, the way we would say this in yeshiva Language, yeshiva parlance, is the following. I'm, gonna get, I'm, I'm teaching you yeshiva terminology. It goes like this. Mimanavshach. Mimanavshach means either way, it doesn't make sense. Mimanavshach. If God wanted two beings, create two beings. If God wanted one being, why separate? Either way, the story doesn't make sense. You have one and then you have two. None of this makes sense. So what do you want? Make up your mind. If you wanted two beings from the beginning, then create two. If you wanted one being, so leave it. You got what you wanted. What's going on? Um, Steve, 
I saw your joke in the comments. By the way, if you're making jokes like this, just message me privately, number one. Number two, um, <laughs> any jokes that be, could be misconstrued do not reflect the uh, Chabad in town, in town Jewish Academy, or its rabbis. Um, anyway, let's keep, let's keep uh, the conversations all, all kosher. All right, let's, um, let's jump into... Text number, oh, well, okay, I put it up here for a little while. Stan, if you don't mind, um, please read text number four. This is from the Alshech. Take it away. It's worth thinking about. Why did God do it this way? Why didn't he create Eve from the earth as he did Adam? Right, and if the understanding here is that we have one being and then separating out, so then why have two, why not just, sorry, why have one and then separate, why not just have two from the get-go from the earth? That's our question, it's the Alshech's question, who lived in the 1500s, and it's other questions, frankly, it's by many, many commentaries ask the same question, and there are many answers. I want to I wanna, uh, share with you two more questions. Can I ask you something quick? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Stan. Uh, it, it, it's, it says that, uh, so God created man in his own image. Correct. And maybe what that's referring to is the, the, the feminine and masculine uh, nature of, of, of God. Yeah, well, now you're speaking like a Kabbalist because that's exactly what Kabbalah says, according to one understanding, that there are, there are different energies, divine energies, including the ten spherot, Amongst the ten spherot energies, you have the six midot called Zah, which is Chesed through Yesod, and then you have Malchut. The six represent masculine energy. Malchut, rep- which is uh, leadership, royalty, kingship, represents feminine energy. That's the energy of Shabbat, for example, six days a week, and then the seventh. So masculine and then feminine. Shabbat is feminine, Shabbat queen, etc. So to reflect the ten spherot, but specifically the duality of the masculine feminine energies, so that's, uh, that, that is one of the implications of this idea that God created male and female in the image of God. God possesses both dynamics or manifests with both dynamics. So you're absolutely correct. Um, so that's one question. So one question, all right, but let's leave that aside for a moment. Question number one, if God wants two beings, why not create two? Question number two is why does it say in the text that we read inside chapter 2 of Genesis that God separated from the side of Adam and then God built Eve from that built with no other discussion of creation in the book of Genesis does it use the word built it says create it says form so bara yatsar different forms of those Hebrew words create or form but what's this business of Boneh, or bana, build. It says that vayiven, the Hebrew word is, in text number two, which we had before, and God built, vayiven Hashem Elohim esatzela, God built the side that he taken from Adam. What's this building business? That's the next question we might ask. And the third question we could ask is, why does God put Adam to sleep? Did you notice that? Maybe I should just pull up my text, and that way you don't have to Use your power of memory, just analysis. Here we go. If we look back to text number two, so number one, we have this word here, God built. Why not create or form? Built is a very strange word here. And the, the next question is, 
Why did God cause a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, fall upon man? What's, what is that, like anesthesia? Is it the first instance of general anesthesia? Like what's going on? So that's the next, that's the third question. So let's summarize our questions. And again, we, we're gonna have very good answers for this. So it's good to ask a question, especially when you have a good answer up your sleeve. And we have, I think, some pretty good answers up our sleeve. So let's, uh, I'm very confident about this and about all these questions. So let's again roll quickly through the questions. Question number one, if God wanted two beings, just create two beings. Why separate them? Create them as one and separate. Question number two, why is God building Eve? Question number three, why is God putting Adam to sleep? Make sense? Three questions. One, two, three. Let's continue. So, in exploring these questions and the answer, there are many different approaches we could take. Tonight we're going to take a philosophical approach. I would call it kind of philosophical, emotional approach. Beautiful approach. That will be approach number one. And then we're going to layer on top of it a spiritual psychological approach, touching or utilizing the teachings of Kabbalah and Jewish uh, and, and Hasidic philosophy. So that, that will be our dual approach. Um, give me one second. It looks like somebody got kicked out of the chat. Uh, not chat, out of the room. Um, okay. All right, we'll figure that out. Uh, let's, jump, let's jump back in. We're going to do text number five. This is a very, it's a longer text. I'm going to read this. It's from the Akeda Yitzchak, a scholar who lived, uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Arama, who lived in the 1400s. I am going to share my screen with you because sharing is caring, number one, and number two, so that we can all study together. Here we go. Text number five. Let us jump straight into the English. And here he distinguishes the animal kingdom from the human kingdom. By the way, let me just preempt this, because some of you may say, some of you may feel a little bit of a, um, a protest emerging, saying, well, wait a second, that's not true, or in the animal kingdom, we, we don't find exactly that. And I agree with you. But stay with me in the reading. Don't, uh, don't let the questions come up right away. Hold the questions and be open to the reading, and then we'll explore all the questions and the meaning of the reading. Between animals, he says, there is no reason for them to interact with one another, save for the purpose of perpetuation alone, procreation. Without that, there is no reason for them to create a social contract, not to help one another or for any other sort of interaction. Thus, it was reasonable to create males and females independently, leaving their relationship to be an exclusively sexual one, for it is the natural drive every creature possesses to self-perpetuate that drives sexual relationships. But, that's for the animal kingdom. But, for the human being, this is untenable. For the human naturally possesses a great need for social interaction to provide food, shelter, clothing, and other needs vital for its survival, as designed by the God who programmed it. So, a man and woman do not sleep together just to create children. Rather, their interaction includes all matters vital for their survival. It is for this reason 
that God in his infinite wisdom designed that a man and woman shouldn't be known to each other in an exclusively sexual way like other animals, rather that they should build a uniquely human bond of love and partnership to help one another in all matters appropriate for them. This then is what scripture states, it is not good for a man to be alone. In other words, it is not good for a human man and woman to exist independent of one another like other animals who really don't need such companionship. Rather, the human being is capable of a far greater partnership and so let us make a partner beside him that is a partner appropriate to his needs and worthy of one another. So let me explain. Let's take a bit of a, oh, I'm sorry. I think we have, no, okay, that's it. Um, let's take a little bit of a deep dive into this text. Let me stop sharing. Okay, he makes a few points, a few very important points. Number one, with the animal kingdom, um, partnering up is primarily about procreation. That's his premise. Now, you might say, not true. In the animal kingdom, animals have each other's backs and they work together and they build colonies and they, you never see ants, they schlep, you know, for... Nachon. Nachon, Nachon, Nachon. Correct. I've watched the B-movie. I know what's going on. It's all, there's a whole infrastructure and ecosystem. Hey, I love everything that Jerry Seinfeld does. But here's the point. The point is that you don't have the same level of emotional need as do human beings. How do I know this? When was the last time an animal went to therapy? Now, hold on. You might say, no, there is animal therapy and I will be floored. But I don't, I don't know if that exists yet. <laughs> Maybe someone's going to you know, make, some, make, some, uh, make a business out of it and, 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 and cash in on that. You know, your dog looks a little bit sad. Bring them in. We'll do a few couch sessions. We'll get it back up and running. I don't know, but I know this. Animals are a little bit more pragmatic, utilitarian. Yes, there's emotions. I'm not downplaying it. But human beings have a very unique need for, first of all, to work together for survival, number one. But I would say even more so to connect with each other for the sake of companionship and relationship. We want to hang out. And by the way, this is not just marriage and it's, ju it's not just romantic or intimate relationships. It's any relationship. Friends, right? Yeah, hang out after work, you know, co-workers. It's a, it, there's a need to connect. I mean, we know what it's like. Look at, look at what's going on with the challenges of, of coronavirus, COVID, right? It's, it's difficult on all of us taking a toll. Why? I mean, thank God for the, these opportunities to get together and connect and see each other. I always keep it on the Brady Bunch for you so I can see everybody, you know, and I love seeing everybody's faces and I, I like stopping sharing the screen so that I could see everybody again. Look, we're social creatures. We like seeing each other. We like connecting. And please God, we'll connect soon in person and good health and only, you know, only, only good things. Amen. But human beings are very unique. So let's get back. The Akeda, he's known as the Akeda. Um, the, he, he's right. He explain, he, he answers our question in such a subtle fashion. Let me, let me spell it out. The goal is for human beings to really connect with each other, to like deeply connect, because human beings need that deep connection. When does that begin? What's the indication that that's a need? That's why Adam and Eve are created as one being. 
Adam and Eve do not start as two independent beings because then the message would be you could live independently, you don't need each other. Yeah, human beings are like rocks, they're like islands. Remember that song? I'm a rock, I'm an island, and a rock never... Feels no pain. Feels no pain. Feels no pain. Uh, no pain. Hold on. Something never cries. What is it? Oh, an island. A ne rock never cries. Island never cries. Feels, and rock feels no pain. All right. There we go. There we go. I am Simon and Garfunkel. I am a rock. I am an island. And that's what they said in the song. But you know what? Nisht emes. It's not true. It's not true. We're not rocks. We're not islands. We are inherently social creatures. That's why God created Facebook. I did not just call Mark Zuckerberg God. Don't worry, don't worry. Take it easy, take it easy. But look, the re there's a reason why Facebook has billions. I think I'm right with this number. Billions of people. There's a reason why WhatsApp. There's a reason why uh, Instagram. There's a reason why TikTok. There's a reason why. Because we like sharing with each other. We like connecting with each other. And when does this start? And what's the message? Where are the origins it all starts with God creating two as one. God creates Adam and Eve together as one to indicate, unlike all other creatures which were created independently, a, a male, a female, a this, a that, the other, right? Everyone's separate. And then for certain purposes, utilitarian purposes, procreative purposes, you come together, but otherwise you can live independently. Human beings were created as one. And the message is we need each other. We need each other in times of joy. We need each other in times of sorrow. We need each other in times of plenty. We need each other in times of scarcity. We need each other. That's the, the, the nature of the human being. So, so, that's the Akedah, Akedah Yitzchak, his, the reason why he's called that is because he wrote a book with that title. The Akedah Yitzchak means the, the binding of Isaac, which refers to a historical event, but He's known by the title of his book, and he used that, that, that phrase for his title. So the Akedah writes that that's why Adam and Eve are created as one. Because that's our destiny, and that's our purpose, and that's part and parcel of our identity. We are meant to be connected. Again, whether it's in marriage, or intimate relationships, or with friends, or with family, whatever it is, we're meant to be bonded and connected. Let's take a look at text number six. Text number six says a very similar thing. The Alshech, the great Alshech, uh, uh, says a very similar uh, theme. And let's read this inside. I'm going to actually call upon, let's see. Um, let's, oh, Dr. Maxi, if you don't mind, please read this text. Number six, here we go. It is entirely possible that God did indeed consider creating two separate bodies, male and female, from the ground. However, God foresaw that doing so would create distance between man and woman and challenge their partnership. Even now, after God literally fashioned the woman from the man, marriage is still impossibly difficult. Imagine how much more so had they been created independently from the beginning. Thank you. So he focuses on marriage. The point is relationships are tough as it is. Imagine if we started off as separate beings. So God is trying to give a jump start by creating two as one. Creating one being and then separating into two. By the way, if you, you might be wondering, well, if there were two beings you know, two equal sides, and then God uh, split them down the middle. So why do we say that Eve came from Adam? Uh, it's a good question, 
It's a good question, and there are many different uh, indications. I personally like this. You know, Adam was the first rough draft, and Eve is when God got it right. That's simply what it is. Anyway, <laughs> all right, getting back to the point, the point is that essentially we need each other and we need to be one, and, and God helps us get to that type of connection by starting us off two as one. Okay, now along these lines, we have a beautiful insight into the other two questions we asked. And by the way, once I answer these two questions, we're going to shift gears and go mystical. We're going to get Kabbalistic. I hope you're ready for that, but let's, we still have two more questions. Why does it say that God built Chava, God built Eve. Why not created or formed? And why does God put Adam to sleep? It's all about the love. It's all about the relationship. Okay. It says, Vayiven, God built the, the woman. God built Eve. Our sages tell us, do I have this? Yes. The measure says, let me share this with you. This is going to be text number eight. Um, I think I'm going to read these texts now just to go a little bit quicker. Um, text number eight. Women were given more bina. Bina yetera. Bina yoter. More extra bina. Extra understanding. More than men. As the, missioner as the missioner teaches, a girl's vows are binding at 12 years old. While a boy, well for a boy, this is at 13 years of age. So girls mature faster than boys. Girls at 12, boys at 13. That's why a bat mitzvah is at 12, a bar mitzvah is at 13. Why? Because women are given more bina, more bina, more understanding, maturity, depth, etc. The Hebrew word for understanding is bina, which is related to the word bona, which means built, vayiven. So, this, our measure, so the measure says, what does it mean that God built Eve? It doesn't mean that God took a rib and made a woman. It's not what happened. Vayiven means God implanted or, or implanted, God um, infused Eve and Chava with extra bina, bina yisera. Why? Once again, getting back to our point. When it comes to an intimate relationship, all too often, all too often, and we know this in the world, I don't have to elaborate on this, all too often, especially when it comes to men. Men could fall into a negative place of objectifying, objectifying another person. And that's not a good thing. Because in any relationship, especially a close and intimate relationship amongst human beings, it has, there has to be a level of respect. Not objectification, but respect. And, and, and herein lies this beautiful teaching that God gave women maturity and depth. And the message is for the men, respect that and appreciate that, right? Not just objectify, but appreciate and respect and love from a place of respect and connect from that place as well. So again, it's all about the connection in this story, in this narrative. Why does God put Adam to sleep? There's a wonderful text. It's a wonderful text that I want to share with you. I, I love this answer. It's, uh, it, it sparks, you know, like, um, what's her name that talks about uh, Marie Kondo? Is that her name? Yes? Come on, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm stopping sharing. Yes? Marie Kondo? Yes? It has to spark joy. You have to hold it in your hand when it sparks joy. Yes, then you know to keep it. Love. Sparks love. I think it sparks joy, but whatever. Either way. Um, yeah, it's got to spark joy. So first of all, I'm holding my computer now. Y'all spark joy, right? For me, 
this is uh, this is wonderful. I, I love connecting with you guys and studying Torah together. So number one, thank you all for being here. Number two, this answer from the uh, once again the Akeda Yitzchak, the same the same guy we we quoted before, sparks joy within me. Text number nine, God put Adam to sleep. So that Eve would come to Adam like a surprise find, causing him immense joy. He goes to sleep. He wakes up. Whoa, where did you come from? Because if you imagine, right, imagine before they were back to back. So you ever try to like look at your back without a mirror? Yeah, it's like a dog chasing the tail. You're never going to really get there. It's going to be an exercise in futility. So um, I'm so itching to try it now. It's crazy. But I'm not going to do it because it's going to look weird. Here's the point. Here's the point. Um, Adam is surprised. He goes to sleep. He wakes up. Ah! Sparking joy within him toward his soon-to-be spouse. And that's the way it's meant to be. We, have to, we, we should have joy and respect and love and all sorts of emotional connection with other human beings, whether they're spouses or other close, intimate relationships or family or friends, whatever it is, we're meant to have connections. That's what it means to be a, a mensch, to be a human being, is to have connections, to have relationships to the best of our ability, obviously, but to have that because we, we, we need each other. We need each other in life. Okay, that's why God creates them as one. All of that is beautiful. As I said before, it's kind of like um, philosophy, maybe psychology, some emotional ideas over there. Let's talk about the spiritual lessons. Let's get Kabbalistic. Kabbalah says, yeah, go ahead. Sure. So I'm, I, I'm trying to remember the passage, and I can't remember it in English. It's in the Siddur, um, in the, Ami, the Amida. It's something about... And it just made me think when you said Bina, builder. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a it's the, the you know, our children, uh, it's a play on words, of Hebrew words of the children as builders. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's toward the end of the service, right before the Aleinu. So we say, bon, Don't read children, rather builders. It's also in the yeah. 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 So wondered a bit, but there's no connection there between, not really. We would have to look at that a little bit further, but that's a play on words to understand the value of Torah study in, in sustaining the world. By the way, Torah study sustains the world, so thank you all, because together we're making this, we're making this happen. All right, um, let's jump into Kabbalah. Kabbalah talks about, Kabbalah loves the number three. Loves the number three. And essentially what we have here are three steps with human beings. Step one, together. Step two, apart. Step three, together again. So let me just break this down. Step one is Adam and Eve created as one. Step two is separation. Step three is coming together. But let's understand this. How were they together initially? Physically, how were they together? Back to back. Achar ba'achar, back to back. And when they come together, after separation, how can they come together? In what manner? Panim bipanim, face to face. Radically different than before. So, originally, the connection is back to back. After the separation, now they can have a deeper connection, a closer, more intimate connection, which is one 
that is symbolized by the face-to-face -face coming together. So let's, let's, let's dig into that much deeper. There are two types of relationships, generally speaking. There are what we might call biological relationships, and then there are chosen relationships. So there's your family, who you're born to, and so you're related because you're related. Right? You didn't choose to be born. You didn't choose who your parents were. You didn't choose who your siblings were. You didn't choose who your cousins were. Right? It's, it was chosen for you, in a sense, um, but it is what it is. That's your predestined relationship. And then we all have relationships that we choose. Individuals that we weren't always necessarily connected with, but we decided we like hanging out with them. We like them, we appreciate them, we respect them, we love them, so we're gonna, we're gonna connect, we're gonna have a relationship together. So again, two forms of relationships. What we might call inherent, number one, biological, mainly biological, and number two, second modality, second paradigm, if you will, chosen. We weren't initially connected, we came together by choice, of our own volition, because of some sort of connection. So which is a greater or deeper form of relationship? The answer is, yesh bazeh, masha'en bazeh. One has a quality that the other one does not have, but that other one has a quality that the first one does not have. In other words, each one has advantage, over the other, and each one has a liability that the other one does not have. So let's, let's go in turn one and then two. The advantage of the first type, the first archetype of relationship, the one of uh, a family, of essential connection, right? biology. The advantage is that no matter what, you're always connected. Right? No matter what happens, ups and downs, and nothing can change the fact of DNA. Right? That's the parent, that's the child, it is what it is. So the advantage of the former type of relationship is that it's essential and not going anywhere. The power of the second relationship is that it's more passionate because it's by choice, right? So because you chose it, you wouldn't have chosen it if you're not excited about it. You wouldn't have chosen it if it's not meaningful to you. The fact that you chose to be in a relationship with that person when you didn't have to, it's not like your family, you chose, that must mean that you're feeling something. It's alive, it's exciting. In Kabbalah, this is referred to as love as water and love as fire. There's water love and fire love. Water love is shaped by consistency, steadiness, a consistent flow. Consistent flow of energy. There's a bond, there's, there's an essential a bond that can never be eradicated. No matter what, there's always that connection. Essential. Steady. The, that's water love. Fire love. It's passionate. And sometimes it's off the charts good, and sometimes it's, uh, you know, the fire goes the other way maybe. But it's passionate. It's exciting. Because it didn't have to be. It didn't have to be. But it's by choice, and it's exciting. Let me check in with you. Does this make sense? Two types of relationships, yes? Each one has an advantage? Get this. Are you ready? This is, this is the bomb. One of the bombs. 
Hashem, God, wanted to give Adam and Eve both advantages, both types. So he created, you're with me? Let's play it out. God created Adam and Eve first as an essentially united being, so they have that steady, consistent, we're always one, share the same DNA, being, relationship. Are you with me on this? Yes? Yes? And then God separated them and said, are you still interested in each other? And if they chose, yes, if the answer is yes, their choice, passion. God gave Adam and Eve that very first relationship, both advantages, the best of both worlds. They had their cake and they ate it too, which never made sense, by the way. It's eat your cake and have it too, but whatever. That's, that's for another time when we examine um, famous idioms gone wrong. But that's, again, that's another, uh, that's another thing. Getting back to the point, there's an advantage in essential relationships. There's an advantage in chosen relationships. God said to Adam and Eve, you can have one of each. You have an essential relationship. That's how you're created together. And you have a chosen relationship because I cut you in half. And now, if you still choose each other and you can still get along, you got that chosen relationship. Here's the message for us. In life, I believe Stephen Covey writes about three, three um, stages of development. There's dependence. There is, no, sorry, there is dependence. Yeah. There is independence. And then there's interdependence. I'm going to say that one more time, but this time I'll say it clearly, hopefully. Dependence, independence, interdependence. Dependence is, I can't exist without. Um, we're attached at the hip or the back, as the, uh, the case may be. Dependence, stuck, that's it. Independence, we're cut. Two separate beings now. Interdependence means we're still two beings but we choose to engage. We choose a connection. We choose to complement each other, both literally and figuratively. We choose to, to help out each other in this journey called life, in this very complicated journey called life. We have this model in many relationships, including um, childbirth and adulthood. In other words, the... the um, the growth of a child. Look, we were, all, we were all children once. All of us here, at some point in our lives, we were kids. And you remember what that was like, right? But before that, you were a baby. And before that, or at the beginning of that, you were born. And before that, you were not yet born. And that's what we would call, perhaps, that stage would be dependence, right? The fetus is absolutely dependent on the mother, if the mother doesn't eat, the fetus doesn't eat, and the fetus does not have its own existence. Birth marks a separation. Now you have two. First you had one, now you have two. And as any mother and father would say, after the child is born, you still want the kid to love you because you certainly love that kid and you want that connection, and that is the two once again becoming one. As we look throughout life, throughout our, and it's true on many different levels, in any relationship, right, the goal is not to smother the other or to, um, to sh it's not to, uh, um, to create a dependency. 
It's to have an independence, but an interdependence, right? Have that two beings, but they relate to each other, they get each other, they complement each other, they work with each other, they love each other, they respect each other, etc. So one, yeah, it's close, but it's a little too close, because like you don't have, because it's just one. Two is now separate. Three is two coming together as one. One, two, three. Does that make sense what I just said? Let's get back to Rosh Hashanah. Before creation, the Kabbalists say, you know what it was before creation? Just God and God's infinite light. I'm telling you some Kabbalah now. It was only God, the Ar, the the Ein Sof, the infinite, and the infinite light, the Ar Ein Sof. Hu Shmobil Vad, just God and His light, known as His name, euphemistically. Just God and His light, filling the entire expanse of possible existence. And then, so there's only one, only oneness. And our potential existence is subsumed within God's existence. We don't exist as separate beings at that stage, it's only God. And then God decided to create an other, to create number two. God's number one, and now let's have another. In order to do that, God separated out space, known as the Tzimtzum. God separated space for us to emerge. And the goal of that is that we should choose to have a relationship with God. That's the story of existence. That's the story of Rosh Hashanah. God is one, creation is two, and our avodah, our service, our spiritual work is to say yes, we're independent. But you know what? We recognize that God is the boss, that we have things to do, and that we dedicate our lives to fulfilling God's mission, God's purpose for us here on earth, which is to bring more light into our own body, into our own environment, and to the world at large. So, in short, life and creation itself follows the same three-step process. Dependence, where nothing else exists other than the one, God. Independence, where there's God and us. And interdependence, where we turn to God and say, God, we choose you. We could choose anything else, but we choose you. And that's what we do on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, we stand up before God and we say, God, Maloch al ha'olam kula b'chvodo. Reign over the entire world, not... R-A-I-N, that's also happening, but R-E-I-G-N, reign over the entire earth with your glory and be our, be our leader, be our king, and we will, we're, we're ready to go. Be in a relationship, choose us, because we're choosing you to be in a relationship. In a relationship, if you program, not you, if one programmed a robot to love them, it wouldn't really feel like love. It wouldn't be genuine. Now, I know that uh, people are working on this right now, and they may have cracked the code, and I'll leave, uh, I'll leave artificial intelligence up to the experts. But in general, if you program something to love you, it's not love. It's still one. It's still you. The robot is still you. It's not, it's not a separate thing. When you have two, now you have vulnerability. Will they? <laughs> Do they love me? Do they love me not? Remember they used to pick the flowers? Right? Was that just the cartoons? I don't remember. It's been a while, right? So that whole thing. And then three is when the other indeed reciprocates the love and and says, yes, I love you. Or when we say, I love you, to the other. 
This is the depth, the deepest part of the relationship. Adam and Eve were one. Nishken Kuntz, no big deal. No accomplishment there. They're two. Now we're talking, but now there's still vulnerability. Now they're two separate beings. Now there's no connection. Three is coming together now by choice, and now there's significance of the choice. That's why the one is, is back-to-back and three is face-to-face. Back-to-back means it's not valuable. It doesn't mean that much. Because if there's only one, the fact that there's one, it's, it's, it's inherent. It's easy. It's obvious. But when you have two, and the two still turn around to come together as one, now it's something dramatic. This is the story of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the creation of Adam and Eve. And on that day, what happened was one became two, and then two became one again, which is number three. Two became one. And that's our story every year on Rosh Hashanah. It was just God, one. God created us, one and two. And our job on Rosh Hashanah is to turn to God and say, let's be in this relationship together for one more year. Not just one more year, but also for this next year. And in that way, we pledge our allegiance, so to speak, to God, to Torah, to mitzvot, and re-energize our connection. And we herein we have all the advantages. We started off as a piece of God. So there's that essential connection. Plus, there's the chosen connection. Right? We ch- we're choosing God. So we have both values of the inherent relationship, the essence, as well as the choice, which is the passion, the water love and the fire love. So this Rosh Hashanah, remember this. You can't, you can't run anyway. You're still a piece of God, no matter where you go. You can run, but you can't hide. So there's no, right? So just embrace who you are, a piece of God, a child of God, number one. Number two, embrace God with passion. Embrace your purpose with passion. Embrace your soul with passion. Embrace something higher than just the mundane. Embrace something higher than just existing. Embrace life with passion. And when we do so, we know this. When we embrace our mission, God will give us all of the resources we need for our mission. Whether it's health, whether it's money, whether it's joy, peace of mind, a calm heart, trust in, the, in, 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 in others and trust in ourselves, whatever resources we need. When we are dedicated to doing what God wants, God is dedicated to helping us achieve that and gives us the resources to accomplish that. So my blessing to us all, as we conclude this first session of the High Holiday Boot Camp, is remember where we came from and remember where we're meant to be headed. We came from God, And we're meant to come back to that space, but this time of our own passion, of our own choosing, of our own joy, and our own initiative. And when we do so, we have the essence and the passion, the water and the fire, and we're blessed with a ksiva chsima tova, lashana tova masuka, with a good and happy and healthy sweet new year. May it be for us and all of our loved ones and all of our friends and all of our colleagues and all of our neighbors and all of our strangers around us, no one's really a stranger, and the whole world at large. May this year, 5781, be a year of true blessing and only sweetness where we don't encounter any sorrow, any challenge, any hardship, any adversity, but only sweet and immediate blessings. And let us say, Amen. I look forward to, uh, to studying with you next week. Next week, our discussion is 
The title is Don't Lose the Forest for the Trees. It's a discussion about Yom Kippur. That's session two of the High Holiday Boot Camp. And the third session, which is on Sukkot, which is in two weeks' time, is Celebrating Commitment. The second time is The Charm. So that is coming up in two weeks' time. So you don't want to miss this. Spread the word, by the way. Share the link. Feel free to share the link. I let everyone in. Don't worry. This is uh, very much a, uh, a family. So, uh, so please, invite others to join the family. Um, got plenty of turkey and stuffing. I don't know why I went to Thanksgiving on this. But nonetheless, everyone's invited. All right. Wishing everybody good health. Any questions before we close out? Questions? Comments? What do you think, guys? Yeah. Questions, comments, questions, comments? I have a question. Yes. Hey, Sarah. Hi. Hey. You know, you, you said the three stages, dependence, and then independence, and then interdependence? Yes. So how is God in the first one dependent? I, I just didn't catch that. No, no, no. I'm sorry. So let me clarify. By the way, I quoted Stephen Covey, but it's not exactly what Kabbalah says. So it, it, I'm shoehorning a modern psychological or modern idea into uh, into the, into these kabbalistic ideas. So um, so so, forgive me if it's not a perfect example. The dependence would be from our perspective, and and the truth is, it's not even dependence. It's we didn't even exist before creation. Step one, which we're calling dependence, is just God, and us. Yeah, we don't exist then at that point. Step two is independence. In other words, step one is looking at it from the perspective of us after creation, what we would have been like before creation. Now that we exist, well, where were we? We were just an appendage, not even appendage. We were just subsumed and, and surrendered and dissolved into the infinite light, which essentially means that we didn't exist as independent creatures. We were part of God. So that's what it means by dependence. Not that God was dependent on us, but we were completely dependent on Him in the sense that, well, it, it, to the greatest extent, we didn't even exist. It was just Him. Um, our potential existed in theory, but not in practice, and so it was just God. And then we were independently formed, and then interdependence, just to clarify that last phrase as well, again, it's not perfect, I'm just using modern terminology, interdependence in this context, the way I meant it tonight, um, means that we realize that although we are independent, and we could choose to just go our own separate ways, we say, no, 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 I, what kind of life is it without God? Right? What kind of life? What kind of life is it? Hold on. Let's let's mute. What kind of life is it without um, without that type of connection, without that meaning, without spirituality, without prayer, without Torah, without mitzvah? What what kind of life is that? I want God. I need God. And God says to us, "Excuse my uh, my my bold terminology. I need you. I need you to make this world a better place." God could do that, by the way, but then it's not us making it. God needs us for us to make it. God could make it, but then it's like programming the robot to love you, which doesn't count. Sorry, it doesn't count. God wants to create independent beings with minds that are smart and free choice and all sorts of distractions and says, do you want me now? Do you still want me? Or do you want the sushi? Your choice, right? Dealer's choice, chef's choice, human choice. What do you want? Sushi or spirituality? By the way, I'm a fan of sushi, so I don't, I, I, I don't really want to make that choice. I'm just saying, because both are pretty decent. But God says, what do you choose? Free choice. If I programmed you to love me, says God, it's not love. It's still dependence. We haven't moved past step one. So step one is dependence. There's no other. 
Step two is independence, which really is the setup, not the setup, sets the stage for the possibility of step three, but only we can choose that. Only we can choose that. And God says, will ya? God puts himself out there. You know what it is? Okay, you ready? I'm on a laptop, and I can move around. I've done this before earlier today. We did a bit of a tour here at Chabad. Oh, I'm also on another camera for my YouTube folks, but you'll forgive me, guys. Love you, too. All right, you ready? God gets down on one knee. Oof. That camera fell down. All right, God gets down on one knee. And God says, holds out the ring or the rose. And God says, will you be with me for another year? That's what happens, Rosh Hashanah. And God is waiting for the response. That's the vulnerability. God created us separate. It's like Adam and Eve. God split them. And they could have gone their separate ways. They chose each other. For better or for worse, you know, like the, the American vows? Yeah, rich, uh, what was it? Richer or poorer in whatever, whatever, whatever language it is, right? Through, through the, the beauty of the Garden of Eden and through the, uh, the eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that's what it comes down to. It comes down to a very simple question. Will we choose God? Will we choose to be dedicated to Him or, or not? Do we choose love? It's like the final rose of the bachelor or bachelorette. I'm not sure which way it goes, right? Who knows? Whatever. It's the final rose. And it's like that person got chosen. Now it's up to them. Do they accept the rose? God's extending the rose. New. What are you going to say? Yay or sorry, I got to be somewhere else. I got to run. I got, I got this really important text coming in. Uh, it's about to come in, but I, I need to be on call just in case it comes in. Right, that's the question. Are we, are we saying yes? Saying yes to the dress or not? Like what's, what's going on? I'm trying to get in as many reality shows that I can. Right? Are we going to leave God stranded on the island? Right? As the lone survivor? Again, I'm just trying here to get more. But anyway, that's the great race of Rosh Hashanah. It's all about, it's all about the vulnerability. Will we choose God? God has chosen us already. God loves us. God created us. God even gave us independence. What are we going to do with it? And all this stems from Adam and Eve and that original human being that was one and then was two and then came together again. That's life. God is one. God and us are two. And now the question is, what's our choice? It's like a game of chess. Your move. What are you going to do? That's Rosh Hashanah. And so hopefully our choice is, yes. Yes, God, we love you. We're with you. We choose you. We sound the shofar as a proclamation of God's coronation, of our choice of God. That's what, uh, that's what Rosh Hashanah is all about. All right, any other questions, comments before we close out? Uh, next Wednesday luncheon. Yes. Oh, thank you for reminding me. Next Wednesday. So just as a, as, a, a, as a programming note, a few things. First of all, Rosh Hashanah begins Friday night at sunset and goes for 49 hours till Sunday night, an hour after sunset. So mark your calendars. It's always a two-day holiday here and in Israel. So that's one thing. Number two is we're having services. We're having services throughout the holiday here at Chabad in town. 
some indoor, some outdoor. Choose your flavor. We have longer services, shorter services. I will be leading personally an outdoor learner service, which is a 40-minute service or so. We do a few prayers, some insights, a few jokes. Oh, I have a great joke to tell you after. Okay, right after this. Um, so we, we do a few, uh, we do a little, some insight meeting. We do a chauffeur on Sunday, second day, not first day because of Shabbos. And, uh, and that's the party. We're doing it outside. We have tents set up, little canopy things to pr pr protect against the, uh, the elements, against the sun. I don't think it's going to rain. It's not scheduled to rain, at least. Hopefully that doesn't change. And that will take place uh, Saturday and Sunday, 10 a.m. Um, we also have an 11 o'clock learning service inside a Jeff's Place, social distance with masks, etc. For those that are comfortable inside, you can join that. Um, and, uh, and that's it. And then we have a traditional service starting at 9.30 both days with chauffeur blowing all second day. We have chauffeur on the Beltline. We have chauffeur in the park, Piedmont Park at the gazebo. Check the website, intownjewishacademy.org. And, sorry, in Chabad in Town. This one is a Chabad in Town. Chabadintown.org and look for a high holiday schedule and details. Okay, um, next I wanted to mention about, okay, we have a, a daily class at 12 noon. And if you need the link to it, it's on Zoom. If you need the link, just send me a message. Mess, um, email, text, phone call, I'll give you the, I'll give you the link. Um, it's a direct link. You click on it every noon, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we have about a 30-minute class on the daily Torah reading of the, of the day. So it's a really wonderful class and a wonderful group. What we decided yesterday, that instead of only doing this virtually on Zoom, once a week on let's, Wednesdays at noon, in addition to gathering virtually, forever wants to gather, gather virtually, we'll also gather in person for those that want to gather in person. And we're going to do this outside, social distance with masks and lunch. Now you're wanting masks and lunch, but we'll figure that out. You put it inside the mask and you somehow do that. Um, I usually drink my tea through the mask, which creates a mess, but you know what? It's good, it's good, for, the, it's good for the lulls. Anyway, back, to, back to, the, uh, to the point. Whoever wants to join us Wednesday, first of all, any day, join us. But Wednesday, in person, we're doing this class. You order lunch from Spicy Peach on Tuesday. Order whatever you want, paninis, sandwiches, a salad bar, sushi, soup, whatever you want. And I'll pick it up and have it ready for you Wednesday. We'll sit social distance. Don't worry. Plenty of outdoor space. Plenty of outdoor separation with masks and Torah and study. And it's going to be a party. So that's the announcement. And now the joke. The, the doctor, the engineer... And, sorry, three people were arguing about what was, what was the original occupation, the first occupation of existence. So the doctor says, I'll tell you what the first occupation in history was. It was being a doctor. Why? Because God separated Adam, God, you know, spliced Adam and Eve, and that requires surgery. So clearly at the beginning, the first occupation was a doctor. The engineer says, what are you, are you kidding me? Before Adam and Eve. There was all of this chaos, and, and, and there had to be order brought into the chaos. And who brings order from chaos? It's engineers. So initially, there had to be an engineer. Maybe initially God was, a, you know, whatever it is. There had to be an engineer at the beginning. And the third person says, are you kidding me? The third person is, uh, says, before the order, there was chaos. The third person was a politician. He says, there must have been politicians because who else creates the chaos? Anyway, that's the joke. By the way, that was not political. That's just cynical in general. So excuse me for my cynicism, um, but it's not, it's not any uh, specific thing. Steve, what you got? Oh, are you, are you ranking my joke? <laughs> 10? 
I, I butchered it, though. I didn't tell it right. I, th I appreciate that. I, I feel the love. But I, I, that's not one of my finer efforts. Whatever. Okay. Um, that's it, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. Join me next week. Join me before next week. Any questions? Stan, you had a question? No? Just stand by? Okay. Bye, Rosita. Bye, everybody. I think I mentioned everybody by name. Special mention to those that are joining from far. Thank you very much. All right. Shana Tova, everybody. The main thing is good health for everybody.